Welcome to Good God, Conversations That Matter About Faith and Public Life. I'm your host, George Mason, and we are beginning a new series on Good God called Good Politics, because uh, this is a time when we really need good politics. Uh, and to kick off our series, I'm thrilled to be able to welcome uh, to the program Congressman Will Hurd. Uh, Will is uh, no longer in uh, the Congress. He, he finished his term from 2015 to uh, 2021, just in January, and he's continuing to be politically active. Uh, but after about a nine year stint uh, in uh, covert intelligence operations, uh, uh, learning about cybersecurity and national security and all those sorts of things, he took his uh, uh, talents to uh, Washington and uh, has a reputation for being a real bipartisan spirit. And uh, Will, we can't uh, thank you more uh, than uh, for, for being with us and, and sharing some of your insights with us on Good God. Well, it's a, it's a pleasure to, to be with you. And um, we, we definitely need good politics. So I'm, I'm on board with your, with, your, with your concept and what you're trying to do. Terrific. So let's just begin with the whole concept of politics, of course, is really how we live together, how we, how we uh, negotiate uh, public space and private lives and, and where those boundaries and all of that are. But uh, a lot of politics, I think, boils down to when we get involved in it is a, a vision of what society ought to look like. Uh, what uh, within the bounds of our constitution, nonetheless, uh, there's, there's a moral imagination that goes into making up uh, how we are motivated to act. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how you view politics through that lens. Where does that moral imagination come from for you? And what are some of the values that, that are guiding principles for you? Sure. Um, so, so, when I, when I went to Texas A&M University, my degree is in, is in computer science, and I was involved in a student organization. We put on probably a couple of, th about a thousand programs a year, and we had a budget of about $6 million, and, and I, I ran this, and it was like a business, a small, it's a bit, pretty, pretty decent business, and we were reorganizing the, the, the entity, and we had some consultants come in and, and they gave me this framework, vision process structure. If, if you aren't able to articulate clearly what the vision of where you want to go, right? You're never going to get there. And then, you know, how do you put processes in place in order to get to that vision? And then what is the structure that is needed to enforce that process? And so to your question about vision and what should our government be doing, right? What is the ideal version of ourselves as, as individuals and ideal version of our government. And I think it, it goes, it, it starts with, um, go to the preamble of our constitution, right? Uh, establish justice. Uh, what does that mean? And, 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 and to, to me, it's how do you help the greatest number of people possible? Um, and and, and so let's start there. And, and so I also look at the objective. What are you trying to do? Um, sometimes we get we get caught up in a particular solution versus talking about what are we trying to achieve. And, and healthcare is a good example. Um, we always talk about whether it's the ACA or Obamacare or something else. No, the, the, the goal, the objective, what we should be trying to achieve is a healthcare system 
that increases access to and decreases cost of healthcare, right? And and so so sometimes we we forget um, we forget that. Um, I, and and so so that is that that's kind of how I that's how I've always come across and, and tried to to try to solve problems is, is how do you maximize the benefit um, to the greatest number of people possible, and how do you help those that need help. Um, and, and, and that's something that I saw at a granular level in Congress. For me, the things I will remember about my time in Congress is not legislation and, and speeches on the floor. It's helping that one individual, that 76-year-old woman who uh, lost her husband, who was a veteran. They were getting VA benefits, and VA messed something up, and she wasn't getting those benefits, and she was about to get evicted from her house, all right? We solved that problem. So I'm babbling a little bit here, George, but but to me, you know, help the raise some people possible and and help those that that need the most help. So let's just talk a little more about following up on that. So, you know, the, the truth of the matter is that particular person that you helped in that way is is something that, yes, you can do in government and you can connect to the the agencies and systems that will achieve that. There's a certain amount of sort of one-by-one help that churches and faith communities and nonprofits can also do. But when you get to some of these big, nasty, uh, wicked challenges like healthcare and, and immigration and things of that nature, you're dealing now with big policy issues that can actually, instead of having to cherry pick this one and this one and this one. If you had systems that actually were working for people, you know, that would be helpful. But, but this gets to uh, the, the point of a lot of this conversation, I think, Will, and that is that uh, we, it, it seems that sometimes ideologically, our partisanship has such divergent views of how to achieve these very pragmatic ends that you just described that it's actually in the interest of the parties not to achieve a compromise and not to, mm-hmm. to find a solution. And, 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 and because to do so would run counter to the base and it would, you would lose power uh, of reelection and uh, of fundraising and all those sorts of things. How do we deal with that brokenness? Sure. So, so you, 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 you ID'd a, a lot of, of issues. And, and to start with your first point, uh, what I learned is when I was able to solve a problem for one person, I figured out how to solve it for thousands of people. Ah, okay. and, and, and so, so, so that gave you the understanding of the, of the minutia that was getting in the way. And then you pass legislation in order to do it so that other people don't, don't deal with that. So, so that, that's, one, that's one tactic. But let's take an issue like immigration. Specifically, let's say DACA, DACA, you know, right. deferred action on childhood arrival. These are young men and women that have only known the United States of America um, as their home. They were brought here illegally through no fault of their own. Right. This is an issue that when you poll voters, even Republican primary voters, a supermajority, over 70%, believe that. The, the young men and women that are in this DACA category should have a permanent legislative fix to their predicament. So why can't we get anything done? Both sides would like to use this issue of immigration as a political bludgeon against right. the other. Right. And, and so, so um, and that is because 
in the House of Representatives. Last election, about 92% of the seats were decided in a primary. Mm-hmm. Primary voters are anywhere between 25 and 57,000 voters. General election voters are north of, you know, 175,000 to, to 375,000. So, so when you have most of the seats being decided in a primary, the most vocal are what would be considered the edges or the extremes. And that's in the Democratic Party and in the Republican Party. And so, so while I would say majority of Americans don't believe that fixing DACA is amnesty, and, and or most Republicans don't think that, and I would say most Democrats don't believe in defunding the police or defunding ICE, these are the two narratives that come out that generate and reflect the individual, the individual parties. And then nuance is lost because if somebody comes out with a nuanced position, a lot of the electorate is expecting a, 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 a firm, deep, full-throated rebuke right. of the other extremist position. Right. So how do we get beyond this? We need folks at all levels of, gov- of society, not just government. We need civil society. We need, we need church folk. We need uh, folks that may not watch cable news all the time to recognize why do these, why do these issues matter? Ultimately, immigration is about ensuring our economy is able to work and function to allow us to continue and to grow this quality of life that we have achieved. Mm-hmm. We are the pinnacle in, in, in the world. And so, so, so this solution is complicated. You got to address the root causes of illegal immigration, which sure. is violence, lack of economic opportunity, and extreme poverty in the Northern Triangle, right? Climate change. When people, when people are in our custody, mm-hmm. we got to treat them like human beings, right? right? And we got to show them the dignity and respect that other human beings deserve, right? And we need to fix our legal system. We can't let people abuse the system. And then we need to fix legal immigration. In this day and age, we should be able to say, hey, this industry in this state needs this many workers. We should be able to be flexible, right? right. And so that we're, we're, we're importing the, the folks that we need. And we need, and, and, and a lot of times, there has always been a nativist yeah. um, perspective within the, um, America. The, the, the ire of that nativism has changed over the history of our, of our country. But we need to stand up and say, this is why this is important, right? And, and so, so, so that's a long-winded answer. It's, 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 it's complicated. And you're not going to be able to put an answer to these intractable problems in 280 characters on Twitter, mm-hmm. um, which, but, but it also requires responsible citizens demanding this kind of uh, 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 rewarding the behavior from people that they want to see continue. Right? Okay, but let's, let's go back to what you said almost at the beginning, and that is that it's about primaries. So... Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you're going to break through this, you can have all the will herds in the world who are being sensible. And we don't have many of them right now, it seems, that have the, the courage as you have had 
famously to have been, you know, during a very divisive time, seeking to reach across the aisle. Uh, you and Beto O'Rourke, uh, of, of course, famously on your car trip and mm -hmm. all that sort of thing. But, uh, but, but I think that the, the districting problem that we have and the gerrymandering that is true, not just in Texas, but everywhere in the United States, is what's creating this situation, right? Where there is, uh, all these elections are being decided by the primaries because everybody's district is pretty much safe after they get elected. Mm -hmm. uh, and so how do we begin, you know, as, as a person of faith, uh, and this is good God, so we have, you know, we're bringing our spiritual values to this, for people to live in a certain area and not to feel that they are at the actually represented is an insult to their human dignity. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's why it's one of the reasons why we have a country to begin with, right? And yet now we have a situation where we are not dealing with enemies without uh, that we create a country for democracy to flourish, but now we have a problem of democracy within uh, mm -hmm. that, that we can't get real representation. Well, in my district in Dallas, uh, which only barely touches on my neighborhood and goes all the way uh, into East Texas, uh, my congressman uh, has absolutely no interest in bipartisanship. And it is, mm -hmm. uh, there's, there's no way I can uh, even get his attention uh, because he's elected by 92% every single time. Uh, so he only plays to his base. And this has been true for a long time. So I think we're coming up this October in Texas on uh, probably a redistricting thing. What is the prospect of us breaking through this so that we can have a more robust democracy? Um, the prospect is low for the kind of change that you're expecting, if I'm just being, if I'm just being yeah. frank. And, and, and let me couch the problem even more specific. The problem is actually one party rule. You know, we, we have one party, you know, Texas and California are the mirror images of each other, mm -hmm. but you have one party ruling those states. When you go back in our history and look at all um, legislation or things that have been, been done of any consequence, it's been done in a bipartisan way. The only way we solve big, big problems is by doing it together. History has, has taught us that. Now, if I had a magic wand, what I would do, and, and you use the phrase gerrymander, um, you have to have a design principle to districts, right? You, you, yeah. you, it, is, it, is it space? Is it people? Is it voters? To me, the designing principle of our districts should be competitiveness and, and design as many districts as you possibly can to be close to 50-50. Ah. 50% Democrat, 50% Republican. Now, you know, I, I can get even more specific where you don't want a district to be more than plus or minus six of one party. Um, that makes the competition in November right? Uh, the, the, where, the, where the race is. So I got rewarded in my old district, the 23rd, because if every Republican voted for me in the general election, I would still lose. I had to have independents. I had to have Democrats. Right. So the, 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 the motivation with it for, for a district like mine and for competitive districts mm -hmm. is to actually be bipartisan, which means solving real problems. This is what most people want. Now, we're not going to see the state legislatures, all 50 state legislatures come to this 
you know, uh, be, be divinely inspired and do the thing that we all would wish they would do. But here's the reality. Primaries, we can get more people to vote in primaries. Mm-hmm. That's right. So, so I, I use, I use uh, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez as an example up in New York. Um, she's probably one of the most famous Democrats in the country. She won her first election in the primary. There were only 25,000 people voted in that primary. Mm-hmm. She got 15,000 votes. Mm-hmm. She only won by 5,000 votes. Mm-hmm. When I was student body president at Texas A&M, I think I got 11,000 votes. Right? And, and so, so those are the, the, the numbers. Mm-hmm. And when you look at people that vote in general elections, mm-hmm. that don't vote in some of these primaries, that delta is pretty significant. So the question is, those people that vote in general election but don't vote in primaries, why do they not vote? And understanding that and, and appealing to that, and, and, and that's where you know, advocacy of people that are frustrated, the, the, the advocacy begin, and, and, and guess what? This is going to happen in Texas mm-hmm. in March. We're a year away from from you know the, the the real election, which is the primary election. Now, the state may get pushed back because of of the fact that um, the census results have been delayed a few months. But historically, our primaries in, in March. So 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 while I don't think the, the the tectonic change that's required by the state legislatures is going to happen, individuals that are frustrated with the, with the process can do something. Now it's hard. Mm-hmm. The most likely indicator of future behavior is, is past behavior. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't vote in primaries, guess what? You're l- unlikely to vote in a primary in the future. But right. I believe that um, I was at a, and I'll, I'll end with, I'll end this, this, this answer with, with this story, George. Um, I, I was at a, I was at a South by Southwest a few years ago conference, you know, talking about, I was with a bunch of YouTube stars. <laughs> At the time, I only had like 100 followers on my YouTube account, if, if that. The rest of them, the other four I was on the stage with, had over a billion. Oh, my gosh. And, and one of them was the digital director for The Rock, uh, Dwayne Johnson. Mm-hmm, right. And this was at a time when the movie Moana was coming out, the cartoon. And she said, if Moana fails at the box office... Are we going to blame moviegoers for not going to the movie? Or are we going to say the movie was a crummy movie? Now, I've seen Moana. I think it's actually a quite delightful movie. It had good success at the movies. She said, in politics, the only time is the only, is the only industry where we blame the person making the purchasing decision and saying, you didn't go out and make your purchase. Now, I would pers- uh, suggest that a product has not been provided that those people want. Hmm. And, 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 and I think that can, is, is where things can, can ultimately change um, and make sure that we're getting more people invo- involved in primaries, which um, lessens the extremist edge uh, of, of those parties, but it's hard. Wow, okay, so we've got work to do at the primary level, uh, mm-hmm. since it's going to be difficult to deal with the redistricting uh, in the short term. So that helps and we can motivate people to that end. You, you made an interesting uh, last statement there about extremism. And I, I wonder if we could talk about that just a little bit at this point too, because uh, it does seem that all of the uh, 
the ways in which we are operating today are moving away from the center and are pulling us apart rather than putting us together. Uh, and uh, you know, I find it ironic that you, to be honest, are making this claim because having spent so much time in the intelligence world, where it, it does seem that you know you're you're always dealing with threat assessments with uh, enemies and with you know risks and those sorts of things, yet there's enough nuance in you to bring us back uh, and not just uh, you know kind of push us to the extreme. How do you teach people that extremism ideologically, even in politics and in our advocacy, is going to keep tearing the social fabric apart instead of putting it together? How do you, how do you help convince people that there is a place here of the common good that we can be searching for that's worth compromising for and worth uh, aiming toward? So... Look, if I if I knew the winning formula, <laughs> I I would be I would be a, a very successful person. Um, so so what I have learned from all my experiences, from you know being a, being growing up as a biracial kid in South Texas in the in the eighties and nineties to going to Texas A&M and, and dealing with a, 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 um, a tragedy that the university had never seen before. It's a, my experiences overseas, recruiting spies and stealing secrets and preventing, you know, um, terrorists from blowing things up and putting nuclear weapon proliferators out of jail and then being in Congress. Way more unites us than divides us. I've seen it. I've lived it. I, I, um, I don't consume social media and cable news regularly, right? It's, it's not an indication of the, of, of the majority of the country. But when I interact with people and see people from all walks of life, and, and having done that for almost a decade, uh, you realize that people care about, every, I don't care where you're from, I don't care what your background is, I don't care what you do, I don't care what your socioeconomic status is, I don't care where your family's from, you want to put food on your table, a roof over your family's head and make sure that you people that you love are healthy and happy. Right. Mm -hmm. And if we talk about those things, that's how we can start uniting people. Now, how do you teach people that we're being pulled apart at the seams? Now I would put, there, there's an even bigger problem at play here. Not only are we, we are preventing our politics are getting in the way from us addressing some of the generational defining challenges our country is faced with. Prior to the pandemic, um, you know, 40% of Americans couldn't handle an emergency expense of over $400. Right. Um, we've seen hate crimes uh, on the rise, especially right now against our, our brothers and sisters in the Asian community. Um, we have a, a near peer adversary, the Communist uh, Party of China, that is trying to surpass the United States as a sole hegemon, right? And, and I'm very specific. I'm, I'm talking about the Chinese government. I'm not talking about the Chinese people. I'm definitely not talking about Chinese Americans, our brothers and sisters, as you said, and what, what they're dealing with. But the Chinese government, it's their words. This is not my interpretation. It's what they've written themselves. They are trying to surpass the United States as a sole superpower. And they're doing it by leadership, global leadership and advanced technologies. So if we don't get our act together, in 475 AD, when a Roman 
was chilling in Rome. Did they think the next year that the Western Roman Empire would fall? Most of those people probably didn't even know what a Goth was. Right. And the Goths came in and, 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 and caused Pax Romana uh, to, to, to come crumbling down, right? And, and so, so this is, this is, this is the, the, the stakes. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you get people to realize that? I think there are some that don't, are, 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 are unaware and can be educated. Mm-hmm. Others, the only way they're going to learn is if they see a better way that works. If you see more people getting elected the way I got elected, then more people would try that, right? right. And, and, and guess what? I know how to, you know, uh, the, the professional political class, they know how to talk to what's called a four or four primary vote. It's somebody who's voted in four of the last four Republican primary. Um, and, and, it's, and it's with some of the more extremist positions. So, so the system is perpetuating that yeah. because it has worked in the past. However, one of the problems we've seen in, in our foreign policy and we've seen in other countries, people oftentimes fight the war of the past rather than preparing for the war of the future. Mm. And I think there's a real opportunity. Um, and, and so I think people are frustrated. I think people want to believe in something larger than themselves, right? I, I, I think, I think um, the faith that people have in, and not only, and not only in God, but, but in um, uh, folks that are responsible at, in their business or in their government or in their state, they want to see them. They want to believe in something bigger than themselves. And I think when that's provided, people will, will respond. I just don't know if it's been provided. Oh, well, um, we're, we're finding ourselves uh, in a, a position right now where we're looking for hope. And you know, I, I think there, there's a lot of despair going on right now because uh, you know we we've lurched uh, back and forth, left and right, in in recent times nationally and uh, to some extent at the state level. But now we now we are seeing efforts to expand voting access and to limit voting access. We're 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 we're, we're actually. Uh, seeing people get into the, into the game, but instead of finding a way to sit at a table and say, you know, let's agree that we need voter security, but let's also agree that we need the greatest possible access to voting and we want the most robust activity. We, instead, it's just count the votes and see how, how you can win your position. It, it, it seems almost hopeless. So in, in this final minute or two here that we have together, Will, and thank you again for your, yeah. your time. Uh, if we can't vote, you know, and if we can't vote securely, we, we, we can't have a robust democracy. Sure. Uh, so this may be one of the most important issues that every state is addressing right now, or most states at least. Uh, what, what, counsel do you give to people of goodwill to advocate right now in a way that has some hope of success? Uh, because uh, if, if, if we close down uh, voting booths and voting access in the name of security, or if we create opportunity for fraud, uh, we, in either direction, we've got problems. So how do we address that most fundamental problem to begin with? 
if if elected officials across the states would at least uh, let's start with Texas because I have the data from Texas would they actually listen to the people Republicans and Democrats mm-hmm. overwhelmingly like in the eighty percent say uh, make sure you know who's voting and increase opportunities to vote I, right. this this isn't hard in, in, in this day and age if Estonia can vote online and they're literally being hacked on a daily basis by the Russian government. Right. We should be able to determine uh, this is well heard and I can go in to vote. If I could use my credit card anywhere in the world. Right. Securely, we should be able to do this. So, so 2020 was the most secure election in the United States of America, right. period, full stop. Right. And, and, and so, so, but yes, we should make sure we know who it, somebody is. That's not hard. We've been doing it. And we should increase access. If, if a county wants to, wants to vote 24-7, let them vote 24-7, right? Now, and, and, and so what, what, what people need to do is make their opinion be known and say, hey, I believe, um, you know, what's funny is the people that are being criticized or have been, have been inju- unjustly criticized, in my opinion, are good Americans that are doing this because they want to help their country. It's your neighbor it's the person you, you work with, not are the, the folks that are being, you know, uh, uh, voting judges and precinct captains and, you know, election commissioners that are running this in a county is your neighbor, right? These, this, and, and, and to think so that there's some conspiracy that could be kept secret, right? right. It, it's like, it's just, to, to, me, to me, it's odd. And, and, and what I can say is, having seen this, having been involved in this from a, from a, 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 a 30,000 foot view from the Homeland Security Committee in Congress, our voting system, our tallying systems are, 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 are secure and strong. I think right now, 98% of our voting systems across the country, which is like 10,000 different, different precincts, have a, have a backup system that can be auditable. Um, and, and so we, we can't continue this notion that our, our, our system is, is unsecure because that's going to erode trust. Oh, and by the way, you know who's also promoting that, you know, that issue is the Russians. The Russians, the Russians are trying to erode trust in our systems. Right. Well, and when we do it ourselves, we're, 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 we're helping them. Well, and in Texas, you know, the attorney general uh, spent in his office 22,000 hours of investigative time uh, to find voter fraud in the 2020 election. And they came up with, wait for it, 16 false addresses on registration uh, cards. That's it uh, for the, the, the and, and yet we have all of these uh, efforts to uh, secure elections that were, as you said, historically as secure as they've ever been or more. So. Really, the issue is something else. But uh, in this time, I think, you know, the the point is not to say Democrats good, Republicans bad, Republicans Mm -hmm. good, Democrats bad. How about democracy good? Let's figure out a way to say democracy good. Politics can be noble, not just dirty and partisan. 100 percent. And guess what? You're not going to agree 100 percent of the time. Right. I'm, 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 not, I'm not married, but not all my friends that are, they don't agree with their spouse 100% of the time, right? right. Um, I don't agree with my best friends 100% of the time. It's okay 
that we, we, we shouldn't, but we can, uh, we can, we can disagree without being disagreeable and you shouldn't put on blinders, right? Look, I love the San Antonio Spurs. Okay. I, I, I do. But if, if LeBron James makes a good jump shot, I could say that was a good jump shot. It's okay. I'm not denigrating my, 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 home, my home team. And so we can't just claw to our own jersey, right, and assume that the other side is terrible in trying to run this country into the ground because they're, they're, they're not, right? right. They're, they're not. And, and so, and, and then, but, but we as individuals and the folks listening to this and the people in your congregation, we have to model the behavior we want to see. Good. And so if, if it, so, so guess what, do you, do you like that stuff on social media from somebody who's doing something really nice, right? Or doing something that you like, uh, or, or are you just criticizing the other side, right? Model the behavior we want to see. And if we do that, we can start changing this. We can start changing the situation that we're in. We'll heard more of you, more of you. <laughs> We'd like to hear more of Will Heard. So thank you so much for your time. Uh, we're grateful for your service. And we're all looking curiously to see what's next for Will Hurd. <laughs> well, I appreciate you, George. And y'all just have, have him follow me on Will Hurd. That's my new, that's my handle on all my social media. Very good. We sure will. Okay, brother. Thanks for being Thank you. a good God and good politics. Thank have you. God bless you. Take Bye-bye. Care. Okay. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason. Produced and directed by Jim White. Social media coordination by Cameron Vickery. Good God. Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2021 by Faith Commons.